You're a busy provider trying to stay current with the latest HIV testing, prevention, and treatment guidelines, and your pockets are overflowing with note cards. You need a convenient, trustworthy source for HIV testing, treatment, prevention, and care protocols. All healthcare professionals have a role in stopping HIV. Introducing HIV Care Tools from the AIDS Education and Training Center program. The HIV Care Tools mobile app is simple, free, and fully functional offline or online. It features quick guides for HIV prevention, screening, testing, diagnosis, and treatment. HIV Care Tools provides common clinical calculators used in HIV management and provide validated screening tools for comorbidities such as depression, substance use disorders, and PTSD. And if you need clinician-to-clinician consultation, HIV Care Tools provides one-touch access to free clinical consultation services by a multidisciplinary team of experts. Take us with you. Download HIV Care Tools today. Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Brayman. Today, I'm sitting down with Catherine Barkison, Nika AATC's EHE project coordinator, and twin coordinator Lori Sadovsky to talk about their upcoming presentation at this year's U.S. Conference on HIV and AIDS, or USCHA, taking place next month on October 8th from 4 to 6 p.m. in San Juan, Puerto Rico. They'll be presenting alongside representatives from Health ProMed and Centro Ararat. Welcome, Catherine and Lori. Thank you. Thanks, Mariana. So your abstract called Boosting PrEP, Leveraging EHE to Expand Access and Workforce Capacity will be displayed as a workshop presentation at USCHA. Can you share in what ways you two helped facilitate knowledge and technical assistance regarding PrEP within your roles? Sure, I'll go first. Um, so within my role as the EHE project coordinator, I have been working with regional partners um, across our jurisdiction for the last year in work groups. Um, one of those work groups is focused on PrEP. Um, so throughout the last year, that work group has created a number of trainings focused on PrEP, um, topics such as integration of PrEP into primary care settings. Um, we've done uh, updated webinars on PrEP guidelines and injectables, as well as understanding the patient experience of being on PrEP. So within those work groups, um, in particular, that prep work group, we've been able to just reach a number of participants across our region. And our, our work was focused on just educating and sharing knowledge and skills and increasing provider capacity um, when it comes to prep use. And what about you, Lori? So the first thing that I did was um, always share the webinars that Catherine and the prep work group created because they were really helpful. Um, and we wanted to make sure that we're distributing the resources that we already have. And then through our twinning project, we connected um, three different FQHCs with a mentor site. And during those in-person twinning visits, that's where we really focused a lot on prep. Um, I'll explain a little bit more about, you know, all the different resources that were shared. But um, through these in-person visits, that's where the mentor site staff and the staff from the FQHCs were really able to talk about um, PrEP and get into all the details programmatically, clinically, um, and just little tips for um, how to improve PrEP in their sites. Catherine, within a year, you helped to produce 35 EHE-funded trainings, reaching almost 1,200 participants. 
That's quite the undertaking. Can you talk a little bit about any challenges that you faced? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so of course there are several challenges that were faced, especially you know working in this virtual realm now. Um, for one, we the frequency of trainings we basically produced and hosted uh, t- at least two webinars a month. Um, there's a lot of background that work that goes into organizing and putting that together these webinars from the marketing and you know gathering speaker presentations and so forth. Um, then there's also the fact that our webinars. Um, are an hour. And we want to make sure that we're mindful that, for one, our work is falling in line with the regional training needs, but also getting that necessary information in within that time frame. We're talking about ending the HIV epidemic, and that is a huge initiative. So there's so much that can be said, and we could talk for days and hours and weeks about it, but to, to, to put that information into a one-hour webinar, it is quite the task. And we still want to make sure that it is still focused on what is within our regional training needs at the end of the day. Then, of course, like I said, you know, working in this virtual platform, um, how can we ensure that all of our participants are actually absorbing the information that we're presenting? You know, if we're in a a classroom setting, people can raise their hands and ask questions, but it's virtual, it's through the screen. So we want to make sure our audience also feels included in the work that we're doing. Um, So we have to be mindful of just allowing time at the end for the audience to ask questions or offer their feedback. So there's a lot of challenges that come with the trainings, um, but we're able to just tackle them the best that we can and, you know, continue to do the work that we do. Catherine, I'm curious and I'm sure listeners are curious about what webinar was your favorite to host? Hmm. So there were actually two that come to mind that were my favorite. Um, the first one was a panel presentation that um, I hosted back in June, um, making strides towards EHE, a panel presentation on successes, barriers, and strategies to increase HIV testing. Um, so this included a group of panelists representing our region, New York, New Jersey, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Um, each of these speakers, they were able to discuss barriers that exist um, across our region in regards to HIV testing, and then also offer successful strategies that they have done within their sites to increase testing in hard-to-reach populations. So it was very insightful because each of the panelists were able to share some of the unique things that they've done within their own work field and within their own sites to increase testing. Um, One of the speakers from U.S. Virgin Islands, Jason Henry, he actually displayed photos of his team engaging with the community, with community members in the USVI. Um, His team, they were conducting COVID and HIV testing. And they they also went out into the community and uh, engaged with some sex workers and distributed condoms, but also conducted HIV testing. So it was nice to see the different ways that people utilize their resources in order to increase HIV testing. And once again, it's just a collaborative effort of just sharing all of this knowledge and, and seeing what works best. So the second webinar I would have to say was my favorite was a webinar that we recently hosted back in August, the patient experience of being on PrEP. Um, we had a PrEP ambassador from upstate New York detail his experience of being on PrEP. So everything from interacting with healthcare providers and getting information on PrEP, starting PrEP, and then also his experience of sharing to his friends and family that he was on PrEP as well. The audience was also able to engage with him and ask questions. So it was a very interesting and innovative webinar because it was a more interview Q&A style as opposed to just clinical information. We were able to see 
firsthand experience of everything regarding prep and how it actually affects a patient. So those two would definitely be my favorite webinars. Lori, can you tell listeners a bit about what unique information regarding HIV testing and PrEP were shared by the mentor sites that normally isn't available? Sure. I think that was one of um, the most interesting parts about the twinning visit is that you got to get kind of behind the scenes information that you wouldn't get in a normal training or even in a discussion with another site. So a lot of that was really the programmatic stuff like... um, the mentor sites were sharing written out policies and procedures or their workflows. Some of that was their written workflows, which you could, you know, the sites were able to look at, or even just workflows that were more of an informal understanding in the different clinics. Also, usually in training settings, you have maybe one trainer who was there, whereas by bringing the two different sites together, you were able to have physicians, nurses, um, administrative staff, and other people all in one room talking about their different um, jobs. And with all of our uh, mentor mentoring programs, we had a prep counselor from the two different sites that were there to really talk about the day-to-day um, programmatic details of having a prep program. Uh, our mentor sites also shared EMR templates. Um, one of our mentors walked through their EMR system and showed them exactly how they use it. Um, some as like preset text, some as just something that they would always put in, which was really helpful for the sites that are just learning how to do prep because it's not just how to prescribe it. It's also the programmatic side of you need your front desk to schedule. You need um, to have it set in your schedule. And then how do you document it? How do you bill for it? Um, even just having lab standing orders, all these kinds of details that you wouldn't have the chance to have maybe even in a one hour training because this was something that they were together for several hours um, in person at the mentor site. And so it was a really great experience to have that kind of information that you don't usually get access to from another site. Um, They also did share a lot of their outreach strategies, whether that was social media or um, their website or just going into communities and going to community events and how to really engage people, um, educate the public about PrEP and possibly connect them to services at their clinic. And Lori, how were you able to arrange in-person site visits while working remotely? I'm really interested to hear about the challenges you came across and, of course, the successes that you experienced as well. So I think anybody who is working from home or working remotely understands that there are are a lot of challenges of um, no longer being in person for certain things um, or working with some of the clinics where you had some of the staff working remotely some of them working um, in the clinic and seeing patients, there were definite challenges. Um, You know, we're also, because we were reaching out to clinics, some that we did not have previous relationships with, um, you know, at some point it kind of felt like cold calls um, and we were trying to engage sites um, to participate in this project and to explain to them what benefits they would have. Um, And, I think one of the successes that we had was really reaching out to the regional partners who had um, relationships, if not with that specific clinic and staff member, at least with the region, um, and could give us some information and that really helped us. Um, So those 
existing relationships definitely helped um, to bring in some of the FQHCs that we ended up working with. Um, I think also like a lot of people working remotely, we relied a lot on lots of emails, lots of doodle polls and Zoom meetings. Um, we did most of the meetings, um, except for the one day twinning visit was all done through Zoom meetings. Um, and there's lots of challenges with that. I mean, having physicians um, and administrative people, you have them, you know, they may have clinic schedules that doesn't really work out. Um, for, you know, one of our twinning visits, I think we had to wait about four weeks until everyone's schedule could really, you know, make that work. But um, there was a lot of interest in this project. So the different sites, they were able to really juggle things and, and make that possible. Um, and I think just a lot of the sites that we were working with found that they were um, at times understaffed, um, but they were still really going above and beyond to meet the needs of their programs and more importantly, their patients. But um, definitely some challenges and um, lots of successes because we were happy that we were able to get these three in-person twinning visits. Um, and the one that we're going to speak about at the conference is the visit between Health ProMed and Central Ararat, and we're very excited about that. Now, a question for you both as we begin to wrap up, why is it so important for you two to be presenting at this conference in Puerto Rico? Um, well, for myself, I, I think it's important because we'll be able to just step into a different territory and, and share the work that we've been doing for the past year to address all these barriers and stigmas and myths regarding PrEP. Um, the, the premise of the work that I've been doing within my role as EHE project coordinator is collaborating across our region with regional partners. And within those work groups, we were able to hear from all of our partners um, within their jurisdictions, what are the barriers they're facing regarding PrEP and how can we address that? And it's just that melting pot of just knowledge that's being shared and now we're able to take it over to Puerto Rico and present that to an audience and allow for just the, the exchange of innovative information that we can all do to help tackle this goal of ending the HIV epidemic. Uh, so for me, I lived in Puerto Rico for two years. So um, personally, I'm excited to have the chance to go back there and um, to be able to present on the work that we have done, you know, back in Puerto Rico. Um, we've also, through this twinning project, we've met some really great people, both at um, Health ProMed and Central Arat. And so although we've met several times virtually, I'm excited to actually meet them in person. Um, and, you know, it's just a great opportunity to collaborate with them. Um, and to present on the work that they've done and really also hear their experiences um, going through this project and how they're using the project to further um, prescribing prep for their patients. And so, yeah, we're just excited to have the opportunity to go there, um, present on the work that we've done and, you know, really hear from um, both of the sites that we worked with. Catherine, Lori, thanks so much for joining us and telling us all about your upcoming presentation at the USCHA conference. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika AATC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nikaatc.org. That's www.necaaetc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaaetc.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at nikaaetc.org. 
Stay safe, and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know. This presentation is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.